So points and policies back, this time healthcare, why is it so expensive? Very, very important question that I think is on the front of everyone's mind, especially coming out of COVID. Nothing got cheaper through COVID and healthcare definitely is a prime example of that. And it's great to hear, like you've got a couple experts coming tonight to Great North Ale Works. It's Greg Moore, State Director for Americans for Prosperity in New Hampshire. This is presented by AFP. Uh, please be sure to check out americansforprosperity.org to learn more about their work. So what's the goal of tonight? Who are these people you have come to present? Well, we have a couple people. Uh, first of all, we have the Vice Chair of the House Health and Human Services Committee, uh, Representative Erica Leon from Derry. Uh, she obviously comes from a background in healthcare. Uh, she did a lot of uh, healthcare research and reporting. And I think that, that from her, her perspective, she can bring a policymaker's view to, to some of the policies that, that maybe aren't optimal and, and can be improved. Uh, we also have Jared Rhodes, who uh, works up at Dartmouth. At the, in the, he's a researcher at the Institute for Health uh, Studies and Research. Um, actually, he's he's yeah. he, he's uh, from the Dartmouth Institute of Health Policy and, Clini and Clinical Practice. So, so I want to make sure that we, we get that uh, accurately re reflected. But Jared is an expert. He he's been a researcher in the healthcare space for many years, and he's great at crunching the numbers and coming up with some of the things that are that are driving some of the opportunities from policy perspective that New Hampshire might be missing out on, and some of the ways that we can we can improve the, and optimize the overall healthcare system. Because people are are really taken in the teeth when it comes to healthcare. Uh, when you look at when you look at healthcare costs, New Hampshire has some of the highest out-of-pocket costs in the country. Depending on the year, we go anywhere between like first, second, or third in, in, in the rank. Not good. It's not ideal. Not good. <laughs> and so New Hampshire residents are, are really paying a lot of money for, the, for their health care. Uh, the good news is, is we're a relatively healthy state, mm. but we're still a, a, a state that, that it costs a lot of money to be healthy. Now, I'm going to be having Jared definitely talk about this report here, Enhancing Healthcare Options in New Hampshire, the direct pay pathway, which I read, read a little bit on this before uh, talking to you, and it's kind of surprising stuff in there. I mean, what were some takeaways for you from uh, what you guys are doing that may be of interest? Uh, well, there are, there are challenges throughout the, at the federal and the state level of, of trying to find ways to maybe reduce some of those costs, some of the policies that are that are in place. One of the biggest challenges is posed at the federal level where uh, you have dynamics where situations where uh, Medicare really drives the boat. Because if you look at a typical hospital's balance sheet, uh, more than half the money typically is comes from the Medicare program. And then you add on Medicaid and other government health insurance programs. And so these hospitals are following the incentives that are laid out for them, which are trying to, which is try to maximize the amount of money they get from these government uh, healthcare programs, and that really, that really drives a lot of what goes on. In fact, one of the places where people are uh, making some of the most money in the healthcare industry are what is called revenue maximization specialists. These are these are highly trained consultants who come in. Uh, come into to a hospital and they try to figure out how they can uh, get the hospitals paid more for doing the same thing they're doing right now. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, that really drives up a lot of costs. Mm -hmm. And then, but, but also working in and around these government health programs has an inherent cost that it adds. Uh, an independent physicians group said that, that the right number of billing specialists for each physician, practicing independent physician, is, is two billing specialists. So think about the overhead you're adding to healthcare if every doctor has to have two billing specialists to, to, to come up with all, all of the, the numbers just because of the, the incredibly convoluted uh, government healthcare system. And that's a system that everybody has to operate in because the majority of the money in healthcare is in there. And so 
there are some places across the country that are saying, you know what, we're going to get away from that. We're not going to we're not going to take Medicare. We're not going to take Medicaid. We're just going to take direct payment from consumers. Mm-hmm. They're not even going to take they're not even going to take private insurance. They just they they, they want to work and get back to the for a lot of the practitioners a lot a lot of the reason why they entered the practice to not worry about having all this cumbersome bureaucratic uh, overhead behind them and instead and instead just focus on, on providing the, the best care to keep the patients as healthy as possible and then then there's a direct payment there are a number of things that are sort of uh, getting in, in in the way of that at the federal level the federal level the, the, the tax deductibility going to the in, employer not the individual so we need to make sure that the individual gets the tax advantage status on health care uh, versus versus just the employer so the employer is making your health care decisions uh, as opposed to the individual uh, working directly with with the with the, the, the doctor, mm-hmm. so we have this third-party payer, and that's also true for government as well. And uh, and what we found is is those people that are going down that pathway, and we have some of that here in, in New Hampshire. We have individual uh, physicians who are who are offering care directly, for and that care is much much cheaper. We're talking about in some cases where they're charging, they're charging somewhere on, on the order of the physicians charging 150 to 200 dollars a month for direct primary care, and I think that direct primary care model is great, but it's it, a, a barrier we have in New Hampshire is at, at the facility level. So while you can do it at the individual level, the, the practitioner can, can do it. A facility in New Hampshire, you cannot open a medical facility, whether it be, be a, a MRI or uh, maybe a, a ambulatory surgical care. You can't have that in New Hampshire, uh, and you cannot, cannot get a, a, a permit or a certi- certification to open unless you agree to take Medicare, Medicaid, and all the other private insurances as well. And, and fundamentally, we think we need to pro- provide more flexibility, give people more opportunities to, to actually actually access the direct payment method, so that's one area. Another area another area that we really look at at the federal level are things like, like the issues of uh, prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And prescription drugs is a huge issue for many people, many, particularly a lot of seniors. But uh, prescription drugs, so just for example, the FDA, the FDA process and the patent process, well that patent starts when you make the drug, but you might not get FDA approval for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And so you only have the remainder of that time to, to make your money, so they have to jack up the drug costs. Another, another issue is, is potentially one, an issue in the foreign policy space, mm-hmm. because uh, the American, American taxpayers and, and American consumers are paying for almost all the R&D costs right. for the world. Because all these other all these other countries have these uh, national social health care systems, and they 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 will only pay the actual cost to make the pill. Well, and, and I want to reinforce, like I've spoken to many lawyers in the patent and technology space, that's a hundred percent the case. So we're we're talking politics here a little bit, but this is important on the legal side here too. Right, right. So you're you're in a dynamic where where American consumers and taxpayers are are, are having having to fund all the research for the for the world. Uh, and, and that hits us as another cost. It hits us as well as, as it relates to things, not just and not not just uh, on uh, prescription drugs, but also a lot of a lot of medical devices as mm-hmm. well. Where those where those costs for R and D have to be borne by us. Mm-hmm. So this is a case where I think that you know people running for president here in New Hampshire should be asking asking the candidates for president if they're if they're really interested in um, in, in trying to find ways to reduce healthcare costs. Is this one of the areas where you we willing to put pressure on those countries with social medicine? Medical systems today. Listen, you got to pay up a little bit too. You're, you're you know, we're, we're we don't have to carry all the freight for everybody, and so I think that's another area to look at. But also, uh, again, back at the state level, we have a dynamic where uh, the vast majority of the land across the state of New Hampshire 
you can't you can't build a, a healthcare facility because we uh, in 2016 a law was passed that said that if you have a critical access hospital then you have a, essentially a 15-mile exclusion zone where nobody can move in there. Hmm. So you have basically a monopoly in that space. And, and that's another area we think that people should start looking at. Another example is if you wanted a hospital in, in, in New Hampshire, it doesn't matter what kind of hospital, uh, it could be a really a specialty hospital. And, and under New Hampshire statutes, a hospital means a place where you stay overnight. If you're staying overnight, you need a host, either a hospital license or, or a skilled nursing facility, i.e., nursing home license. If you want to, if you want to get that. So, if you have anything where someone would be staying overnight, um, then you're in a dynamic where where you need a hospital license. And, and under the uh, uh, the law that was passed in 2016, if you want to get a hospital license, you have to have a 24/7 emergency department, which is the most expensive area. Yeah. So these are some of the policies that we're looking at that, that are driving healthcare costs forward. Uh, both at the state and the federal level, and there are some other reasons why healthcare is expensive. Here in here in New Hampshire, we have a lot of other competition for medical professionals. We have a thriving biotech sector both here in New Hampshire and just south of the border in Massachusetts, and that absorbs a lot of the people who could potentially be practitioners, and potentially they might get a more lucrative job working in the biotech space. So. These are some of the issues that we're exploring today and, and we're going to be talking through and, and uh, trying to find get, get to some of these root causes and particularly as we have uh, as we have people here who are going to be members of the legislature, give them some ideas for some potential legislation going forward. Now I'm joined by uh, New Hampshire Representative Erica Leon. Thanks so much for coming to this event today. I'm excited to hear what you're going to be saying. Uh, what's your background and what does that uh, help you to be informed in what we're going to be discussing today? Uh, so I have a degree in economics from MIT and I started off trading options on the stock exchange out in San Francisco. I ended up moving to be a medical device analyst for almost 15 years, covering companies that make implantable devices, orthopedics, cardiology, neurology, diabetes technology, um, a whole bunch of different areas in the healthcare space. So I've been to all of the American Heart Association, all the orthopedic meetings, everything else. As we transitioned from the old model, where there was still some free market in there, mm -hmm. to the new post-Obamacare market, where this whole thing is consolidating into the system that's going to strengthen so what can we do at the state level? I mean, it's a big thing I love speaking to uh, representatives and senators here at the state level is what can we do from a policy perspective that maybe can make some changes productive for everyday Granite Staters? Um, so some of the things we can do are cash pay hospitals. We have cash pay for uh, physicians now, so you can go to a primary care doc and pay cash. We don't have that for facilities. So whether you're talking a hospital or an urgent care or anything else, once you get beyond that level of basic physician practice, you need to go into the whole insurance uh, racket, and honestly, that's what it is. Medicaid always pays 6% less than the next lowest payer, and all the other insurance companies are based off what you pay. So, sure, you can go in and get a cash discount, but still, you shouldn't be getting a $1,000 bill on the top line and then only have to pay $400 for cash pay. Let's get some transparency back and make it so that the actual people getting service are the consumers of health care, not some big, uh, big payment scheme. So there's been a lot of focus politically and from a health policy perspective around price transparency and aspects of that. Do you feel like that's been making any dent in the situation or is it basically there's much bigger fish to fry in this? Um, honestly, while you still have this whole insurance model where they're, they're keeping all of their prices in the dark, you're not going to get true transparency. Sure, you'll get the $1,000.88 it costs when my, when my son broke his finger and we went to urgent care. Uh, but you won't know what you're actually going to pay at the end of the day. So it just remains totally unclear unless you can have a model where you're only selling health care to those people using health care. Because when it goes to the insurance companies, it'll never be clear. 
their business model is to make it unclear so that they can provide those services. How do you make this bipartisan? Nothing, like, it's, it's so close right now still. Yes. There's no way around it. Uh, fortunately, we still have Governor Snooter here up until uh, next year, through next year. But what do we do that can kind of bring everyone together a bit to at least find some compromise? Um, some of it would be looking at pharmacy, pharmacy benefit managers. Mm -hmm. So the PBMs, they were basically created through authorization through government to get these rebates from drug manufacturers. And that was supposed to go back to the, to the patients. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's actually going to line their pro their pro uh, pockets. When I was on Wall Street, I had the opportunity to cover those companies, but I couldn't in good good, good conscience do that because I knew that they were going to make a lot of money and make investors money because they weren't going to follow through on why they were created. So um, I. I'm hopeful. I think somebody else introduced a bill on PBMs and trying to get to a little bit more of the root cause there. But it's such a complex issue that it's going to take more understanding. We're building more people on both sides of the aisle that understand it. And right now, hopefully, there'll be some movement at the federal level on those. Um, and we just need to keep trying to mo mostly increase awareness and move towards that point where we can actually do something for free market health care and eliminating those advantages um, that were misused. Coming up on the primary, what are, what in your opinion, are some questions that Granite Staters should ask these candidates when they're coming through, whether Democrat, Republican? I mean, all these people are going to be running again for president. I always say that on my show. It's like, yeah, it's a, there's a dog and pony show when it comes to a lot of it, but a lot of these people are going to be returning the state again in four years and things like that. So to put bug, bug in the ear of these 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 candidates, what should they be asking? Um, I think the biggest question is whether experts should make decisions for people, especially on their health care, or if the individual should make decisions with the help of experts. That ultimately is where we went wrong in COVID is that we, we followed an idea and we didn't actually follow the science and there was a lot of really bad policy that came downstream. The problem is right now um, medical providers, they're all selling to hospital systems and not to doctors because doctors aren't independent anymore so they're making the decisions at the hospital level. And as we have them at the hospital level, it's going to be a lot harder. So I want to know from these candidates how they're going to make sure that they empower individuals to be knowledgeable patients that are involved in their care, as opposed to somebody going through and just getting treated by the machine. Excited to be joined, lastly, for, the, for today's episode with Jared Rhodes of Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice. Thank you so much for joining me on this. And excited to hear what you're going to be saying during today's presentation, because uh, you're enhancing healthcare options in New Hampshire, the direct pay pathway, which uh, is this online somewhere so people can check that yeah, out? Yeah, probably the uh, St. Anselm uh, website will have that. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll link it in the episode description if you want to check it out. It's very readable. Big thing when I see some of these academic reports, I'm like, oh God, I don't understand what you're saying. Shoot for that. This is very readable, so I highly suggest you check it out to get informed on this because, uh, to be honest, direct pay is something I never really took, took that much consideration of, but uh, what kind of led you to think about this as something that lawmakers and such should start going down the direction of at least thinking about ways to integrate it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, direct pay, direct primary care and then direct pay more broadly is it's it's just one of those I think promising areas. It's not a brand new. Well, most of the parts of it aren't brand new. So, for instance, the direct primary care that's been around for ten plus years. In some sense, it's it's been around for much longer. If you you know, depending on how you define it, um, and so certain parts of it are already kind of well functioning, and 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 that's good. But there are there are there are things that we can do, though. I think to kind of give it a boost and and uh, and, and make it more, um, more a more powerful alternative uh, to kind of what the status quo is, uh, health insurance-wise. And so, um, 
So seeing that that it sort of exists but could be improved, and you know some of the obstacles I think could that could be taken away to make it flourish a little bit more. I think that makes that kind of a one of those you know policy windows is is just right for it. You know, um, it's something that's not uh, not not so far down the future or you know down the line that's that is like futuristic and and, and un, un, uh, you know not feasible. Yeah. But it's uh, but it's also something that that uh, I think would make a big difference. So that's kind of you know the where it stands at the moment. So what sort of data do you use to to, to establish some of these numbers that you see in this report? Yeah. So with the for instance the direct primary care component of it, uh, that was that was literature review kind of stuff. Um, trying to figure out what um, you know. For instance, there, there's a couple tables in there. One, one of them uh, gives a count of what the estimates of uh, uh, of how many direct primary care practices there are in, in the U.S. And so you know they, that kind of establishes a trend. You can see the different estimates uh, over the over the past 10 years. You know there was 175, and then up to 200, and 300, 400, and we're, we're over a thousand now uh, uh, nationwide. Um, and so that's it's good to see that that uh, that that trend. That's you know, just a, that, that's like literature you're looking at the, the both the scholarly literature and the gray literature um, uh, for for that kind of information. There are a couple of organizations out there like DPC uh, Frontier that, that have like mapping tools and and and, and there are there are multiple mapping tools like that 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 you can you know, pull from. Um, and then on you know some of the other things like uh, there's there's a map in there um, uh, about more of like the direct pay for the healthcare facilities. That's another big part of this report. Yeah. Um, that is uh, that's some data that uh, I mean actually it's, it's it's very straightforward. Putting it into a map is is maybe a, a new thing, but but figuring out where those critical access hospitals are because that was kind of a a, a, a part of that story. Um, and then basically just drawing a, a 15 mile radius around those to see then you know how much how much of the state is excluded from um, from you know easy access to direct cash pay uh, healthcare facilities. That, that's sort of another way of, of doing it. You know, that's something that you can. Um, you know, you can do with without needing a lot of you know secondary data from places. So you know that that's, that's some of the many data sources that went, that went into this. So will this take something revolutionary to to make happen? I mean, the big deal right now we're dealing with private insurance, um, direct self-funded plans. We're dealing with Medicare, Medicaid. States have their own things going on. How will this fit into that suite of different ways people currently pay for healthcare? Because obviously, if you have some catastrophic illness or something to that effect, um, that could be scary to consider not necessarily being a traditional insurance situation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think something like direct primary care works really nicely with high deductible health plans. In, mm -hmm. in fact, if you, you know, if you're, if you have a DPC membership someplace that you subscribe, um, you know, you probably should have a high, high deductible health plan. Yeah. The thing that I, I'm kind of getting at in this report is there's, there's sort of a middle ground too there. So the, you know, the high deductible health plan will cover you for that catastrophic stuff, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know the, the real serious, really expensive stuff. But there's also sort of a, a middle area of maybe some ambulatory surgeries that you, you know, might need at some point during your life. And I, th I think the fact that we d even, even something like that can be really expensive scares people off from thinking about this as, as a pathway and and one you know kind of the main point is of the other report is to say that okay so we've got direct primary care kind of working pretty well 
and high deductible health plans exist, so we, we kind of have the, the two ends covered, but if we made a few tweaks, we might be able to get more, um, you know, a, a more competitive landscape with better prices for those kind of mid-range uh, surgeries. And then, and then at that point, I think, you know, consumers would really feel like they've got, uh, you know, a viable, like, full-range alternative. Right. And, and then that might, uh, you know, th there could be people who are interested in direct primary care but are sort of waiting on the sidelines because they think, well, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what if what if something happens and, uh, you know, I'd, where would I go for a surgery, you know, because then it wouldn't be covered or something. And, you know, and and, uh, and, and, and that could be actually scaring them away from, from the direct primary care. So filling in some of these gaps makes the whole thing, it's sort of a gestalt, you know, it makes the whole thing more attractive, and so that that's part of the message here. Too. Yeah, a big thing people don't consider, because I feel like when people think health insurance, they think grandma who has terrible health issues and is in and out of the hospital for whatever reason. A majority of Americans are not necessarily in that situation. They could definitely do well with an HSA or a very the catastrophic level health insurance plans, and this would make that tremendously more effective for them. Like, if they did have, like, I, I got cut at the workplace, and it's not a workers' comp situation or something like that, to be able to just go to the doctor and say, hey, help me out, here's here's your $60, $120, whatever it may be, to, to get two stitches on a cut or something, as opposed to uh, being at home going, oh God, first aid kit, what do I do here? Like, most people don't need that huge uh, Cadillac plan by any stretch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, for, for most people, being able to set aside a little bit for years after year, uh, you know, that's that's something that ought to be an option. It it, it kind of isn't an option right now because we're you know, we've, we we have to we have to buy so much coverage um, for a lot. You know, for some people they need it. Not a, not not everybody does though. And um, and you you kind of lose out on the opportunity to build up any kind of like health savings. I mean, so so health savings accounts uh, can be a, a a really great tool as well. You know, sometimes you know state or federal policy gets in the way though. It's it's actually kind of a, a complicated thing. Yeah. If I ever you know when I, I I won't be talking about health HSAs too much tonight, but um, you know when I do, usually I have to go back and, and even just kind of catch up on what the latest is because yeah. it, sometimes they're 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 actually set up so that they can't uh, be combined with other things, and that's that's disappointing. I, yeah. I'd like to see that change, actually. All right, what am I missing? Is there anything else on this you feel like you really want to get out to people? Yeah, well, um, yeah, check out the report. Uh, like like you started off with, it is pretty readable. You know, this is uh, you know if, if you even just know a little bit of you know basics about about healthcare and some of the terminology. I know I know healthcare as <laughs> as a field, the terminology can be really um, uh, just uh, you know off-putting or intimidating or something like that. But yeah, this this I kind of you know I'm trying to do this in in plain English here and um, and so yeah, check it out if you're interested at, at all in um, in things that can be you know put into practice here in New Hampshire. Uh, it's relevant for, for that, uh, but it's also something that a lot of states could do, so it's, it has broad appeal, I think, so check it out. So super important subject that I feel like everyone should be more informed on. Be an informed consumer, be an informed um, voter. Just be aware of there are options out there when it comes to healthcare, education. We, we've talked about immigration, all these things in the last few months so with Americans for Prosperity, and this is probably one of the most important things because it affects everyone's of every, people of every age from before they're born till all the way through and get as much information as you can, figure out the options and 
maybe it's time for some changes when it comes to how we handle healthcare in this country. Uh, definitely be sure to check out uh, the link to the report. It will be down in the episode description. Like and subscribe to NewEnglandTake.com. We'll talk to you soon.